at midnight on the 31st of March, chapter 3, section 1. Because the need of salt was dominant, and people now as well as stock were sick to get a taste of it, that could not eat without these little grains to fill the blood, Abe Givitz meant to tell the safety board. He had spent days and nights in planning this and thinking what to do to get the most of his most lucky find. He cared for law so much himself he felt all-powerful, because by law he owned the stuff. He thought of all that he could get for it, enough to keep him idle for a year at least. Produce, labor, all exchanged for salt. But then he thought, the money is the best. Sometime, somewhere, the dollars will be good. And if I take it now, it's worth nothing to them. They'll give me more for salt. And then, when it is good, I will be rich. He brooded over this and found it wise. Tomorrow I will tell, and they will pay. But sickness came upon him in the night. He was the last to take it, who had said, My hide's too thick to catch a bug like that. His Ellen nursed him with distaste but care, and he was very sick and raving too, and talked incessantly of something hid and then of salt, and then he said, Be still. She did not listen. George was in her mind and in her heart as well and in her house. He slept there now to do the chores and keep a watch on things, but most of all a watch on her whom he desired. The second night, beside Abe's bed, where she had sat so long, she looked upon the gnarled and working face, the mouth that twisted down and muttered still. The eyes that shut or opened seemed to stare into her own that shrank to look at them. He seemed more quiet now. She left her chair and, with no looking back, went swiftly out and shut the door and leaned her back upon it. Her heart replied so loud to what she thought she could not hear a sound. At last she knew there was no sound behind her, nor above where in their beds the children were asleep. Unthinking now, but answering her heart, she crept downstairs and into the back room. George lay in darkness there, but did not sleep. At some hour in the night the fever grew, and Abe flung restlessly about the bed, thinking of salt and riches and men's rights, until at last he thought he must get up to go and guard his valuable find. He heard them crying for it, calling him, and bringing wads of money in their hands. Somehow he struggled up, put on his pants, but could not find his shoes. He went without, and like the ghost of an unburied man, slipped down the stairs and out into the snow. The cold came in upon him like a wind. He did not feel it, nor his naked feet. It gave him strength, but could not clear his mind. Hot with intent, he ran across the field. Behind, the unlatched door swung open wide. The cold blew in the house and banged the door where George and Ellen slept. She stirred and waked, then slid out of the bed and shut the door. She crept upstairs and went into the room where on the chest the candle flickered still. She called out, Abe? And looked all round the room, then ran downstairs, the candle in her hand. She looked into the privy, nothing there. And then she saw the footsteps in the snow. It seemed an hour before she could wake George and make him understand that Abe was gone. At last he was awake and dressed while she pulled on a coat and boots and followed him, his lantern shining feeble in the night. Across the field the naked footsteps went, and they hard after them. At last they came to where the brush grew round the hidden hole. And there, upon his knees, deep in the snow, Abe Gibbets reached with eager, freezing hands to fasten his rope ladder to the tree, avid to descend to opulence. George came up 
to him suddenly. He screamed, a wild, inhuman sound, and staggered up. George held the lantern up and spoke to him, trying to tell him to come back to bed and showing him his face, that he might know he was a friend, and here was Ellen, too. But Abe screamed out again and leapt at George, shouting such ugly words that both at once realized their love was not a secret to him. The lantern fell as George put up his hands, but Ellen snatched it up before it died and had a light to see the battle by. At first George tried to catch the sick man's hands and bring him safely home. He knew him mad from fever and the sickness in his blood. But Abe fought on, so furious in his strength that George, for all his weight, was beaten off and could get nowhere near to capture him. Almost beneath their feet the snow gave way and showed the precipitous rim of the deep hole. Abe would not draw back, but stood his ground, behind his back, his precious hidden salt. Ellen, who shivered in her nightgown, cold with more than wind and snow, so strange a sight, so fierce a novelty before her eyes, called out to Abe, Come home and go to bed. Oh, don't you catch him. Can't you catch him, George? He's crazy wild. Look out, the hole is close. Don't fall. Take care. George lumbered in again and reached for Abe, who fought more strongly back as though he saw now was his chance to kill for wife and wealth. He grabbed so tight of George and pulled and pushed that it was clear he meant to throw him down. And Ellen screamed again, Oh, George, watch out! The snow was trodden slippery underneath where footing was not good at any time. George, with his boots, was harder put to keep a purchase on the snow until he could push back the madman to a safer spot. He could not do it. Suddenly, he fell. Abe held him still, but struggled to get clear. They balanced on the edge. George half got up, seemed as though he could, then down again. And just as Ellen ran to grab them both, George went down backwards in the gaping hole. And with him, Abe, who would not lose his hold. So loud her heart was pounding in her ears that Ellen could not hear but felt the cries vibrating in the air, the crash of rock, the shuffle and descent of muffling snow. There was a moan, a cough, a rattle. The night was silent once again, and Ellen stood struck dumb and motionless before she woke and screamed and called and crept up to the edge, her lantern in her hand. It was too dark, and no one answered to her sobbing calls. Earl Bacchus thought, when morning came again, there's something here besides a crazy fight between a man that's sick and one that's well. Why did Abe go out in the field at night? And where was Ellen then, and where was George? Well, Abe is dead enough, and would have been without the fall out in the snow at night with fever in his blood. And as for George, he's like to die. I guess he probably will without a doctor or a way to find just where he's hurt inside or what to do. We ought to have an inquest held on Abe. We've got to keep some sort of law going. There is something here that's mighty queer. George did not die, but lived to be a cripple in Ellen's charge. The inquest which they held when he was well enough to talk, though not to walk, and that he never was, absolved all guilt, though there were heads that shook and tongues that wagged and ears that listened too about the state of things at Gibbet's farm. If there were sin in Ellen's artless love, she saw that she would dearly pay for it, with George, a useless and embittered man forever in his chair, forever cross. Her husband he could be in proper time, but worthless to her or to anyone. The children helped her with the daily chores. They lived, somehow, 
and all the village helped, paying in kind for what they took of salt, Abe's priceless treasure which was hid no more. For those who found the bodies found the salt, the ladder, and the place where Abe had dug. Then Ellen remembered hearing Abe cry, Salt! The board of safety cleared the spring and gave a just division, ordering everyone to pay the widow something that she needed. So Ellen had a legacy of life from him who figured only upon coin, a currency of death. And death he had. <laughs>